Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 138 for Thursday, May 3rd, 2012. The intro music you just heard was Fight as One by Bad City, used in the Avengers animated series. You can probably pick it up on iTunes, Amazon's MP3 Marketplace, or your local music provider, whether it's, um, what the hell is that shit called? Spotify or radio, whatever you're using, you guys know the deal. 347-324-3541 is the call-in number, 347-324-3541. The MTR feedback line is 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way. We do got some what-the-fuck movie news this week, a um, couple of other things as well, so let's hop to it. First off... I want to take a moment and thank the entire MTR staff. My Take Radio has broken the all-time download record thus far. Well, all-time site view record of 100,000 views since inception. Uh, MyTakeRadio.com, when it started, roughly two and a half years ago, uh, we were averaging small amount of views only because it was an extension of the show. And after a lot of hard work from myself and the rest of the team, we broke 100,000 views on the site, so of course I want to thank our hardworking staff and all the listeners and fans that stop by the site every day and check out all the stuff we put up. Um, we've been seeing a lot of different people checking out the site, a lot of different people commenting on stuff, uh, you know, 4,000 fans on Facebook. It's, it's very humbling. We put in a lot of work. Like I always say, you guys only get a sampling of it that I mention on air, but, you know... Guys like Slick, Andrea, Blade and Quark, uh, Stefan, Ben, all of them are vital pieces to the machine that do great work, and Josh as well, behind the scenes. Josh hasn't been able to post as much, but 
we've been working on some other stuff. So just want to personally thank the the staff and definitely, of course, thank our listeners and our visitors on the site and our Facebook fans. You guys know the deal, our Twitter followers for helping us reach that milestone. A uh, couple of things regarding that. If you've been on the site, you've noticed a lot of new advertisers. Um, HBO is now one of our advertisers. So is Best Buy. Hopefully we can start getting some stuff from Best Buy up there. Carnal Damage MMA, uh, Stylin' Online, Superhero Stuff, which I announced earlier this week, uh, WWE Shop Zone. Plus, you know, we got some other stuff up there. But if you use any of those services, please use the ads that we got on the site. I know a lot of you use ad blockers. I'm one of those guilty people, but it helps us out. Same thing with the Amazon shop. If you're already shopping on Amazon anyway, go through the MTR store. Helps us out as well. Better gear, better product, better shows. It's as easy as that. Also, our Get Glue check-ins, I believe we're at 153, 154, doing really good with that. Um, No guest this week. I was hoping that Amazing Red would stop through since he's got a show this weekend, but um, we just couldn't pin down a time and the schedule got a little rocky. So Red will be back at some point, but he does have a show this weekend if you're in New York. Uh, definitely go to House of Glory Wrestling's website and you can get all the details. Um, it will be, I believe, bell time is at 7.30 and Red will be wrestling Brian Kendrick. So you guys can check that out this weekend if you're local here in New York. Also, we're going to go back to having guests at least every week, every other week. We got a lot of stuff going on with that. A um, lot of guest bookings that we're working on behind the scenes. We recorded a new MTR Beyond the Mic yesterday uh, with Jamila Rouser from the Girl Gone Geek blog. That's already live for MTR app owners and should be live for uh, iTunes and Stitcher subscribers within the next week. Of, of course, people that have the MTR app get all that stuff first. So they will have it probably for the next week or so, and then it will be released to the general public. So if you guys want to check that out, pick up the MTR app. It's $1.99. It's in the Amazon store. It is also in iTunes as well. Like I said, it's cheaper than a Happy Meal, cheaper than a Starbucks, plus 96K audio and all our exclusive content. I will take the opportunity to make another announcement regarding an app. We're working on a secondary app, which for those of you that are cheap, (laughs) you guys will appreciate it. It is probably going to run... Everything, all our site content, plus some other stuff that will hook into the show. And I'm going to start finalizing that hopefully within the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, Hopefully we'll get it launched in time for Blog World, which will be in June. And if that's the case, you guys will be able to have a lot more MTR content on the go. We're also going to record a Beyond the Mic probably in two weeks. And um, once I have the guest finalized for that, I will announce it on the site. All right, so here's what we got this week. The Ultimate Fighter, uh, the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, WWE Raw. Uh, We got some game news. What the fuck movie news this week? Definitely. And um, I actually have a monologue this week, which I want to talk a little bit about for a couple of reasons, and it uh, ties into something wrestling-related. But it's about... Of course, for those of you that follow football, Junior Seau committed suicide uh, earlier this week, uh, shot himself in the chest, and, you know, guy guy had a great career. Uh, Supposedly, you know, he was battling, he's battling depression, 
Uh, some people are attributing it to concussions and brain illness. And of course, once, once things like this happen, I, it amuses me to look at social media and also commentary on websites when, when people can hide behind, uh, alter egos and not use their real names. People say some really, really foul shit, which, which amuses me because these are the same people that would never say something like that in public. The cloud of, the cloud of anonymity is, is amazing considering some of the stuff I've seen, but I will say a couple of things. Some, some people who I follow on Twitter and are pretty cool people felt that, you know, he, he, he kind of, took the easy way out with suicide, dying is easy, living is hard, which depending on how you look at it, I I can understand that argument. And to some extent I do agree, but nonetheless, the, this particular instance, yeah, that, you know, dying is easy, but living for his family is going to be incredibly difficult. And that's the shit that kills me. Everybody considers, you know, suicide as a selfish act, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We know the deal. The guy's family's fucking hurting. And, you know, we, we could crack jokes about him dating Tila Tequila and all this other shit. But the fact is that this sh- actually shines the light on what people were talking about this week regarding um, the Chris Benoit situation, which was definitely far more severe considering, you know, he killed a child, killed his wife and killed himself. But just the fact that the uh, the side effects of multiple concussions leading to brain damage are once again at the forefront, which is crazy for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the NFL is an organization where concussions are something that happen very frequently. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, the guy shot himself in the chest so that that his his brain can be donated to science. Everybody has a fucking theory, like, like, like opinions. They're like assholes. Everybody's got one. We know the deal. But I just wanted to say that unless you understand depression or you understand concussions and that particular amount of science that people's commentary are, are fucking stupid. Simple as that. I just to wrap things up. I felt that if the guy had brain damage and you know, he, he was experiencing uh, mental health issues. Like always there, there's gotta be professionals that you can talk to and this ties into the NFL and possibly having, you know, league reps create some sort of an outreach for those athletes that have had records of multiple concussions, follow up with them, things of that nature. I'd like to see something like that instituted. I think it would be uh, beneficial to the league. And not only that, it would be beneficial just to the study of of those types of injuries. So, uh, you know, my condolences to his family. Junior Seau was a great athlete. Um, I watched him play uh, when he played for the Chargers. I remember... That was when I was watching football a little bit more frequently. Guy was super athletic, super passionate, gave it 100%. So, you know, it's a tragedy. It's fucked up. But, you know, people's commentary is just complete bullshit. All right. The other thing I did want to talk about, and this is more show related. I guess it's a two-part monologue, so to speak, is regarding uh, publicists and um, MTR and things we want to do. And... I want to use that as an open, think of this as an open letter to publicists. Uh, put it like this. You guys tune into MTR for a multitude of different reasons. Either some of you tune in to hear me curse like a sailor, 
Some of you tune in to hear my opinions on wrestling or video games or movies or MMA, regardless of the detractors that that particular segment has. And as such, you know exactly what we cover. We are a multimedia entity. We expanded into comics and tech on the site. You guys know the deal. So a publicist over the last couple of weeks has been emailing me information for, for a film. Uh, I'll leave it at that for a film. And, um, you know, certain things relating to the film we published because we felt they were apropos and they were easy to comment on. And then there were a couple of other things that we were kind of iffy about, but we, we gave the film fair coverage on the site. So turns out they did a uh, screening for the film last month and you had the opportunity to meet the cast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, guess what happened? We didn't get shit. So we invested time and energy to make this particular film and this particular product look good. And all we got was nothing. Zero donut. So I've decided and I've spoken about it at length with our staff that there will be a very, very easy to follow guideline for publicists. So if you guys uh, represent anything and you're listening to the show and you want us to promote any kind of shit films games fighters whatever the fuck it is uh condoms that glow in the dark this is how it's gonna work going forward you want us to promote your shit we want something in return period i don't give a fuck if it's a sample a review copy there will be an exchange simple as that we're not just gonna give away free coverage it's bullshit because we can invest our energies into other stuff. But it's it's as simple as that. You want us to cover something for you, we'll gladly cover it, but make sure you know there there there's a there's a you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine mentality where we can we can make this work. Simple as that. If it's regarding a film, hey, press screener, make it happen. Next thing you know, same thing, meeting meeting the cast, meeting the directors, shit like that. That shit we should be doing. You know, it's it's a travesty when when I see certain things pop up um, from outlets that don't even touch a fraction of what we touch. But you know, I can I can sit here and bitch about it till I'm blue in the face, or I can just address it directly like I always do. Simple as that. That's the open letter to publicists for whatever. This is how we're gonna do it. Same thing with fighters. You want us to have your fighters on, we'll gladly have them on. But, you know, if you represent some other fighters that we may need, we're going to reach out to you and make requests. Simple as that. I just figured I'd throw that out there. Open letter. Get it out of the way. All right, let's not, uh, let's not beat the shit out of this any further. Let's talk some MMA because it was a uh, very interesting week. And, of course, it's fight week this week. So let's get right to it. All right, so this week's Ultimate Fighter continues the same trend, which is something that I'm going to discuss. Uh, lightweight bout between Sam Cecilia and Chris Saunders. Um, actually, a very entertaining fight. I'd like to say that the first round, extremely, extremely close. And even the second round, both guys had, had great moments in the fight. 
Sam Cecilia at one point uh, was looking for a guillotine choke, at which point Saunders popped out. Really good groundwork, really great exchanges on the feet, to the point where I expected this to go a third round. Unfortunately, as is the case most times, you don't leave it in the hands of the fucking judges. And that's exactly what happened. Chris Saunders ended up taking the fight via split decision. Of course, a lot of people were very vocal about the way that went. I particularly was bummed. I think, um, you know, Sam Cecilia fought a very good fight. He deserved the third round. But unfortunately, when you leave it in the hands of the judges, you are liable to get fucked. Chris Saunders, of course, from Team Faber advances. Next week, Andy Ogle and Mike Rio will be the fight for the Ultimate Fighter. As I've said, I've been behind on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. Just make sure to check it out on uh, the Tough website. I've been super behind to the point where it's not even worth me trying to catch up because um, it'll, it'll just be fucking horrendous and I'll make a mockery of it, so let's not do it. Anyway, let's get into some other MMA news. Uh, UFC on FX4 was finalized earlier this week. The show's taking place June 22nd in Atlantic City. On the main card for FX, you're getting Clay Guida and Gray Maynard, Spencer Fisher and Sam Stout, Brian Ebersol, TJ Wahlberger, Ross Pearson, and Cub Swanson. Now, the prelims are going to be on Fuel TV, and I feel that there are a lot of great fights on there that are just going under the radar. Uh, Ricardo Funch, Dan Miller being one of them. Another one being Rich Antonito and Rick Story, and Hatsu Hioki and Ricardo Lamas. Those are fights that if you got Fuel TV, I recommend you check out. Um, especially Hatsu Hioki is a, a great talent. He just hasn't fared well in the UFC, but... I think that he has that breakout performance. It's just a matter of when. So hopefully June 22nd will be his lucky day. This weekend, of course, we got the UFC on Fox, which is going to be in Jersey and East Rutherford. Uh, you got four main you got four main bouts on Fox and six prelims on Fuel TV, plus two non-televised matches, which will end up on Facebook. Just going to run down the card real quick for those of you that want to check it out. Main event. Nate Diaz versus Jim Miller. It's rumored that the winner will get a title shot. Johnny Hendricks taking on Josh Koscheck. Alan Belcher's taking on Husamar Palhares. Pat Barry's taking on LeVar Johnson, a fight which I feel has fireworks written all over it. I'm a huge Pat Barry fan. He's, he's a super cool dude. Very exciting to watch. LeVar Johnson coming over from Strike Force. Dude likes to exchange in the pocket. So I expect somebody to get knocked the fuck out in this fight. Um... Definitely not going past the first round. If it does, it's a miracle. Prelims on Fuel TV got some solid fights as well. Tony Ferguson and Michael Johnson, John Dodson and Tim Elliott, John Hathaway and Pascal Krause, Louis Gardenot and John Lineker, Danny Castillo and John Cholish, and Dennis Bermudez and Pablo Garza are on Fuel. The prelims will probably be on Facebook, Mike Massenzio and Carlos Vemela, and Roland DeLorme taking on Nick Dennis which if they are on Facebook, just head over to the UFC's Facebook page to check that out. Last other bit of fight announcements I wanted to throw out there. Hector Lombard will be facing Brian Stan in his first UFC match. If you checked out Ben's column with potential fights he'd like to see with Lombard, uh, Stan was one of them. I definitely feel it's going to be a super exciting fight. Stan is coming off an awesome first-round KO of Alessio Sakara. And Lombard is on a 24-fight win streak, making his UFC debut uh, coming over from Bellator. That's going to be happening UFC on Fox 4, August 4th in Los Angeles. 
Now, as you guys know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been telling you how unimpressed I've been with the Ultimate Fighter Live. I don't know what the fuck it is that's missing. Uh, maybe it's the coaches. Maybe it's just the way it's filmed. Fights are good. The presentation itself is missing something. So, of course, it's fight week. Dana White is going to be super busy promoting the fuck out of everything MMA, especially everything UFC. So, he had a talk with the guys at MMA Junkie, and he elaborated on a couple of things. First off, on his relationship with Fox, he said, let me tell you, the best fucking relationship with Fuel TV and Fox, I couldn't be happier. I wish I was here for 17 years instead of seven. Everything that's ever come up, every problem, they're just as passionate and crazy about my business as I am. They give a shit. They care. This is a team effort, and we're doing what we're doing this season. Then we're going to switch some things up. We're going to make this thing work and make it great. If it's Friday night or it's whatever, believe me, it's going to work. I think that's one of the things that's missing. Considering it's the first time and you got all these little these little hiccups, I'm sure it's just a matter of, of working it out. Like I've said, there, there's got to be something extra you can throw in there. I really feel female mixed martial artists that can fight in strike force is, is a great possibility. Uh, co-ed ultimate fighter. I'd like to see that something different, something unique, something that'll make people tune in. Unfortunately, you know, Dana White has his, his opinions on women's mixed martial arts, but again, it would make an interesting dynamic and it would be different on that network and this show in general. When asked about the show being on FX, he said, as far as I'm concerned, FX is better than fucking HBO. You're paying extra money to have HBO when the programming on FX smokes HBO right now. Eh, That's kind of up for debate. HBO is known for all its great shows. I've heard Game of Thrones is awesome. But if you look at the overall network and what FX is doing and HBO is doing, FX blows them away. And that's on on regular cable that you can watch every day. Now, part of this, I think, is... He's on to something, but the other part is definitely a little bit of Fox ass-kissing on Dana's part. I mean, HBO is known for their signature programming. They're also known for their great boxing, much like Showtime. So to to really try to compare the two, it's a little different. FX has only stepped its game up the last couple of years. It's not like FX was out there thrashing other other channels for the last few years, FX was was building little by little by little. The Shield is was got what got the ball rolling for FX. So I don't know, Dana, you're 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 a little hype right now, but we'll let you slide. When asked about fixing the Ultimate Fighter Live's problems, he said, "We're gonna fix it." I read all the shit from people who have no fucking clue what they're talking about. We're with guys who are the best in the business. Will we get this thing dialed in and make it great? I've been hearing tough ran its course in season four. And here we are on season 15. Got to give the guy credit. He he does have a point. But again, you know, the dynamic is definitely becoming watered down. And I think part of the reason is that you're not getting the same level of competitiveness and aggression from some of the other coaches. You, you need fucking guys in there that hate each other, that want to beat the piss out of each other every chance they get. You need guys that need to be pulled apart at least once an episode. Nothing crazy, but definitely to the point where there's legit beef. Tito Ortiz, Ken Shamrock was was perfect. Perfect. Rashad and Rampage was perfect to a degree until it became the Rashad Evans Rampage Ultimate Fighter and not about the fighters. You need to find guys that have the right mix of chemistry, animosity, and coaching acumen to make the show good. I think we're 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 there, but we're not 
That's all I got to say. Also, um, there's been a couple of shuffle. There's been a couple of fights shuffled around. Um, I talked about it last week. They've uh, shuffled around some more fights. Michael Bisping, Tim Bocek were supposed to meet at UFC 148. Now they're going to be meeting at UFC 149. Of course, this is uh, partly because Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen 2 was moved from 147 to 148. As of right now, UFC 149 is scheduled for July 21st in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. But we also got some other stuff put together for UFC on FX4 that couple of fights got shuffled around too. But like I said, Hector Lombard, Brian Stan, Travis Brown, and Ben Rothwell, um, Ryan Bader, and Lyoto Machida is going to be insane. I think that's going to be a crazy fight. Uh, Lyoto Machida coming in, uh, great stand-up. Bader has the wrestling. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be the, the classic wrestler versus striker match, but it has the potential to be, go under the radar as a solid fight. Lombard and Stan, no question. Travis Brown, after the performance he just put on, I think him and Rothwell are definitely going to beat the piss out of each other. So I'm looking forward to that. And like I said, that's August 4th. Also putting uh, being put together, Jake Shields, Ed Herman for UFC 150. Dana White dropped that on Twitter. I think uh, Jake Shields uh, coming up to middleweight now is going to be very, very interesting. Ed Herman is a great guy to welcome him back into that division. So I'm looking forward to that fight. And in some injury news, Gabriel Gonzaga and Evan Dunham both are injured and out of their fights for UFC 146. Uh, Dave Herman will be stepping in to replace Gonzaga. He's facing Roy Nelson. And Jamie Varner is making his return to the UFC, replacing Evan Dunham to fight Edson Barboza. UFC 146 is May 26. Um, just a couple of weeks away at the MGM Grand in Vegas. Of course, the main event, Junior Dos Santos, Frank Mir which they're already putting together a UFC primetime for that. Uh, Co-main event, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Cain Velasquez, um, Dave Herman, Roy Nelson, like I said, Shane Del Rosario, Stipe Miocic, Mark Hunt, and Stefan Struve are your main event, uh, are on the main card. As I said, the fast track for UFC primetime will start next week, May 11th, and they will be giving it each week leading up to the fight, so May 11th, the 18th, and the 25th, all of those are going to be on FX, and replays will be on Fuel TV. Dana White also has been very vocal about trying to do a very big event um, in January at the Cowboy Stadium. A lot of rumors getting tossed around. Some people are saying um, John Jones, Anderson Silva, and Cowboy Stadium. If that were to happen, I think that's the fight that would sell out an event. That would sell out that entire stadium. Don't don't get me wrong. Silva needs to get past Chael first. But if he does, what are you going to give him? Yeah, you could give him Lombard, which is fine. But that Jones-Silva super fight would be ridiculous. The only other crazy thing you could do is Jones, uh, Jones and the winner of Junior Dos Santos, Frank Mir at heavyweight, which would be bananas for the belt. And if that's the case, uh, John Jones would need to bulk up a little bit to take that fight at heavyweight. But those are fights that I think have the potential to sell out Cowboy Stadium. GSP, Nick Diaz also. Another fight you can put on that card. Uh, unless you sign fucking Fedor, which is a whole other story. All of those fights would be ridiculous at Cowboy Stadium. And I think they could sell it out. Looking forward to it for sure. And the last bit of news to close out the MMA segment this week. Dana White's looking to do another um, social media summit. And he wants to just 
talk to the fighters about behavior on Twitter. And look, these guys, they're, they're athletes. They're out in public. They interact with the public. Shit's going to get said. And, you know, I've touched on this in different episodes, but Dana White said something which was pretty funny. He said, I like being open and honest on Twitter. I love having personal relationships with the fans. I love that our athletes do as well. I like it to be real. I tell people to fuck off on Twitter all the time. And some people think that's weird. But if a guy came over to me right now and said, hey, I think you're a dickhead and your organization sucks. I'm going to go fuck you. What's the difference between that and Twitter? If you say stupid things to me on Twitter, I'm going to say stupid things right back to you. If you have a problem with it, you know what the solution is. Don't follow me on Twitter. Bravo. Simple as that. It is true. Twitter is a, a great medium. I love it. I love being able to communicate with our listeners, with like-minded individuals. Once in a while, we run into we run into some 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 crazy shit. Whether it's um, followers, emails, all kinds of randomness. But the fact is that I, I like Twitter. I feel Twitter is a, is a great medium, and sometimes I like it better than Facebook. But it is true. Twitter is is very very. It allows instant gratification and much like any other personal interaction. If somebody says you're an asshole and you tell them to fuck off, it's no different than telling somebody to go fuck themselves in the street that you don't know. Simple as that. But I am really, really happy to see that they're trying to get a good grasp on social media. I think the UFC gets it. They get it better than most organizations. I think the NFL to a degree, but you know, the no fun league they do a lot of bonehead shit too, but I think the UFC's got it on lock in regards to social media interaction. And as long as they keep it moving and they regulate it a little bit and tell these guys, hey, don't say hateful shit, I think they'll be very successful with it. All right, that's going to wrap up the MMA for this week. Let's get right into some wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. <laughs> So let's talk about Extreme Rules, which I will be, uh, I don't even want to say I'm happy to say was, wasn't was a complete steaming pile of shit, but I expected this to be another throwaway pay-per-view toss between the big ones, but it, I was surprisingly impressed with some things. Um, Pre-show, Santino and The Miz really did not, I, while I like the, the use of YouTube to uh, promote WWE and to give us unique programming. I felt that a championship match on a fucking pre-show is just not the move. That's just a personal opinion on my part. But the match overall was pretty solid. A little bit of comedy as usual from Santino. Uh, the Miz is, I don't want to say he continues to be in the doghouse, but I don't understand the guy can speak. He's marketable, dresses well, can connect with the younger demographic. I understand he's botched some shit and, you know, he's probably pissed and moaned a little too much for, for WWE's liking, but you can't break this guy down too much because then it's going to be tough to build him back up. I think The Miz has 
the potential to be a main eventer for years to come. But if you break him mentally, you're not going to get the best performance out of him. Simple as that. The false count anywhere match with Kane and Randy Orton was exactly what you would expect. Typical Randy Orton punch kick, punch kick offense. Um, of course, Kane, Kane continues to be in that middle ground where he's being built up as a monster and then being knocked down a peg as soon as he gains momentum. Uh, Randy Orton got the victory with an RKO on a steel chair. Same shit we've seen in the last couple of matches with them. Hopefully Kane will move on to another feud because I just felt Kane's promo work is good for his character. Blandy Borton's fucking promo work is the equivalent of watching paint dry. It really is. He he talks so fucking monotone and so fucking slow that nine times out of ten I just want to change the fucking channel. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But you know, they love Randy Orton. They love to they feel that he is the flag bearer of the company, which I understand from a third generation standpoint and maybe with this particular gimmick, but he is boring as shit. We get a little impromptu match to throw Brodus Clay on pay-per-view because, you know, what the fuck else can they do with him? Give him a feud? Eh, let's not do that. And of course, good old Dolph Ziggler, Kurt Russell ends up eating the fucking job with a, with a big splash from Brodus. And I don't understand who Dolph Ziggler did not sleep with. Maybe he didn't check Vince's prostate this month. Something is going on because he was on a fucking tear and now he's getting his ass whooped by the dancing Barney the Dinosaur every week. Come the fuck on, guys. Really? You're burying this guy and he's one of the best guys on your roster. Not only that, but the guy takes bumps like a champion. Simple as that. Another guy, tons of potential, burying him. No pun intended, of course, to uh, Blade and Quark. The tables match for the IC belt was exactly what you'd expect, and I was going to be severely, severely irritated if they didn't put the belt back on Cody Rhodes. I really could give two shits about the big slow. They have watered him down to the point where he's not even legitimate. He's not a legit threat anymore. I think Mark Henry's more dangerous than the big show ever was, but they continue to market him as the lovable big oaf that he is, and people eat that shit up. Personally, I'm not one of them. I need the big show that walks out smoking Newports like in WCW in the old days that would long dart Rey Mysterio across the ring like a fucking ragdoll. That big show was cool. This bald fuck, this jovial asshole is definitely not the guy I want to root for. Simple as that. We had our two out of three falls match with everybody's favorite Ronald McDonald lookalike Sheamus and Daniel Bryan. Uh, very, very good match. I was really, really impressed. Um, I think that at this point, there, there's been rumblings that they're going to move Daniel Bryan out of the main event and probably put him into a mid-card feud, which, you know, I don't understand how that's going to work, especially with what happened on Raw this week, but we'll get into it when I talk about Raw. Next, we get a nice little handicap match to sell the virtues of Ryback, which, whatever, a good squash match is, is always well welcomed, but on a fucking pay-per-view, save that shit for SmackDown or for a commercial break or something, but on a pay-per-view that people pay $60 for, nobody wants to see Ryback come out and kill Jose and Hose B. Seriously, move the fuck on. Our Chicago street fight with CM Punk and Chris Jericho delivered on all levels. I felt it was 
uh, the right amount of violence and extreme rules that made it uh, a, a very, very tolerable match. I was hoping that it wouldn't be the typical, I'm going to hit you with a, an aluminum foil pan for 15 minutes. Oh, you're going to hit me with a trash can lid. And then, oh, look, I'm going to do my finisher off a ladder or something stupid. Very competitive, very well done. And I think this pretty much puts the, excla- the exclamation point on this feud. And from what I've heard, Jericho's getting ready to go tour with Fozzie, I believe, next month. So he will be... um. He will definitely be off television for a while. And I got to acknowledge what Josh said. Ryback is the white Zeus. Holy shit. That is a, uh, that is a great analogy. If you don't know Zeus, Zeus was played by a tiny lister and no holds barred with Hulk Hogan. And it really is the Zeus push him coming out and fucking killing everyone. So, um, good analogy from Josh, Nikki Bella, with Brie, of course, defended her championship against Layla, had to job her out real quick. Layla wins the belt on pay-per-view, and um, nice way to write these chicks off. And the final write-off happens Monday, which I'll get into in a moment. And, of course, John Cena, Brock Lesnar. I have to admit, I expected this match to be complete dog shit. Um, Brock Lesnar's first match back, I expected him to be... um, very, very clumsy in this match, but it worked. It worked out well. Brock Lesnar comes out with his little, his little MMA shorts and his Everlast boots, you know, playing up the whole UFC gimmick that they're giving him. And as soon as that bell rang, these guys started really beating the shit out of each other. We actually got some blood on a pay-per-view, which we haven't had in a while. And I think it really sold the, the legitimacy of this match and the genuine beef between these guys. Now, my issue with it was, the fact that John Cena was taking an ass whooping, got the victory with the attitude adjustment onto the ring steps. After the match, Cena cuts a, a promo, which was, um, you know, the, the, the placement of the promo is up for debate. Some people felt that it was a, a great promo from Cena and he was being real. Others felt that the promo uh, jobbed out Brock Lesnar in a way and others feel that Brock Lesnar, with all the money they're paying him, shouldn't have lost his first his first match in the WWE. Here's how I see it: You pay this guy five million dollars. He's got he's on for limited dates. If he wins every match, people are going to know that he's winning them because they're part of his contract and he's getting paid. The surprise win by Cena was good, but originally they were saying that it was supposed to end with Cena winning and being stretchered out, much like The Undertaker was when he fought Triple H, and it was just a, you know, Cena wins the battle, um, but Lesnar wins the war type scenario, which honestly, looking at it from that perspective, would have been a fantastic end for that match, and would have kind of kept both guys strong, but they went the route they went for whatever reason. Um, I actually enjoyed the match, like I said, I felt that it was going to be shit, but um, it worked out well, so... Kudos to these guys for making this brawl not only look believable, but actually look good on pay-per-view. Moving on into the Raw side of things, of course, um, a lot of shit going on. Brock Lesnar comes out to open things up. Uh, A lot of bullshit. People are booing him. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Johnny Ace gives Triple H this contract with Brock Lesnar's new demands. And... um, it doesn't work out the way it does. And 
Brock Lesnar kind of snaps and puts Triple H in a Kimura, which I was very impressed, very impressed from seeing him pull that off and use that on John Cena, which, of course, they used to sell. And Triple H may have gotten his arm broken. I think that it was a very solid segment for a couple of reasons. Number one, you are um, you hire this guy that you thought you had under control and he just went fucking crazy and attacked the COO of your company. Now, the reason that some people are are actually very, very intrigued where this is going to go is because allegedly uh, post-pay-per-view Brock Lesnar was very upset with the way the match went. And this is a nice way to get Lesnar off TV for a couple of weeks because allegedly he signed to do, um, I believe, two Raws in a pay-per-view or one Raw in a pay-per-view. So, you know, out of four weeks, you're only going to see him on TV maybe twice and the pay-per-view or maybe once in the pay-per-view. So, you know, that's part of the guy's deal. Um, Triple H sold that Kimura really well. I was very impressed with that. Lesnar did it very, he did it as good as he can do it in a, in a, in a pro wrestling environment without really breaking Triple H's arm. Impressed with the angle advancement. And it opens up, like I said, a couple of potential things. Um, We could see the return of Vince. Now that Triple H is on the shelf and maybe Vince is going to come and kind of stir, stir shit up. But uh, on, on the flip side, you have Johnny Ace in charge and he's really not because Brock Lesnar's just going fucking crazy, beating everybody up. So like I said, you open a, a couple of different angles that I really am looking forward to seeing. I think, you know, if, if it brings Vince back and it advances the angle in a, in, in a way that makes sense, I got no problem with it. Our first match of the evening, finally, was the Miz and Santino repeat of the YouTube match. Uh, the winner... Um, we were doing beat the clock this time for uh, number one contendership for CM Punk's WWE Championship. The Miz did win. Four minutes, 18 seconds was his time. Next up, we get a nice little squash match, which basically that's what it was. Uh, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, and Layla. Layla pretty much killed uh, the Bellas, and that was it. And we fast forward, boom, right into our next match. Chris Jericho and the Big Show. There was a big fuck up there. Um with the beat the clock stipulation, it didn't work out the way it went, but Jericho did win and he advances. The only problem is that the Miz still has the time to beat at four minutes and 18 seconds. Next match, Brodus Clay, JTG. I I don't even think this was, uh, this was a fucking beat the clock match the way they jobbed out poor JTG, but we all know how that goes, especially when it comes to Brodus, Randy Orton, Jack Swagger, Randy Orton, of course, is winning that match. Uh, Very competitive, though. Swagger looked good. Randy Orton sold his offense well. Uh, Swagger ate the RKO like a champ. Uh, Four minutes, 16 seconds is the new time to beat. Got a little uh, breaking news from WWE.com that the Bella Twins were fired by Eve Torres, which is, of course, the nice way to write them off television since their contract was up Monday night. Uh, Will they be back? Who knows? Hopefully, if they come back, they'll actually know how to wrestle better. On the flip side, it's a nice way to give Eve a little power since she's like the number two to Johnny Ace now. No problem with that. We had a tag team match with the Goya brothers and R-Truth and Kofi Kingston. Now, the funny thing is that as of late, matches are sponsored by um, by fast food vendors. So I found it convenient that when the Goya brothers were wrestling, that the match was brought to you by Taco Bell. 
insert uh, racial overcoat here. Because that's what happened. Racial overcoats. Like I said, two Puerto Rican guys with a chick who pretends to be Hispanic and is only partially Hispanic that were Mexican ponchos come out to fight a black guy that talks to himself and is dressed like mystical and a really upstanding uh, Caribbean black guy. And all of a sudden, the match is sponsored by Taco Bell. Why don't we just take it to a whole other level? The tag team match this week is sponsored in part by Taco Bell. And it's also sponsored by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you just, just make the racism blatant? I, don't, I uh, Obviously, that's probably not the intent. But it sure as fuck felt that way to hear, you know, Taco Bell sponsors this match this week. I was like, wow. It was ridiculous. And the funny thing was, I didn't watch Raw Live on Monday. So a couple of people brought it to my attention. And when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that was a little poorly planned. Uh, Kofi Kingston and R-Truth win the belts. I wonder if they're going to defend them with Little Jimmy or is Little Jimmy and Kofi Kingston going to tag one week and then R-Truth and Little Jimmy another week. I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe they'll do it like the Freebirds and share the belts amongst all three of them. We'll see how the fuck that goes. Next, of course, Great Kali and Kane. Of course, the time expires, much like the Great Kali's career. It fucking sucked. There's there's no fucking way that Kane can make the Great Kali look good in a match when the Great Kali cannot fucking move. It was it was terrible. Then we get Daniel Bryan and Jerry the King Lawler. Why the fuck would we get that? Why? It was terrible. It was fucking terrible. But the funny thing was, it was a beat the clock match. And guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, we get Daniel Bryan and CM Punk at the pay-per-view. Which, for all intents and purposes, after what we've seen from these guys in before WWE and in the matches that they've teased us with, it's going to be an awesome match. And not only that, but that is the stake in the heart of the brand extension. The brand extension goes out the fucking window at this point because the guy who was just champion for SmackDown is now vying for a championship on Raw, which pretty much makes the SmackDown belt look like shit at this point. What we should just do right about now is start unifying titles. Unify the two ma- the main event belts. Unify the IC and the US title. Create a TV title that can be defended on Raw, SmackDown, and YouTube, and use that as a way to have that title defended on every program. That's what that's the stipulation I would like. Bring back the TV title, have it defended on every program. It allows great feuds to develop, but not only that, it 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 allows people to be excited about a potential title change. So I would bring that back. We got our unified tag team belts and we got the Divas Championship. That's it. Cuz seriously, their brand extension is out the fucking window at this point. We got one GM, we might as well have one set of belts and one set of champions. This is fucking bullshit at this point. That you got the guy who had the belt on SmackDown all of a sudden challenge for the belt on Raw. It, clearly, it's putting emphasis on that belt and making the SmackDown belt fucking worthless. Next up, close things out. We got Cena coming out, cuts his little promo. Johnny Ace comes out. Lord Tensai comes out, John Cena fucking gets his ass whooped, and then we get the exciting announcement that he will be facing Johnny Ace at Over the Limit. 
And I pretty much threw up in my mouth at that point and shut that shit off. Don't get me wrong. Johnny Ace was good in Japan. He had a couple of, of decent matches when he was younger. But odds are this match is a complete setup. And since he's, since he's the GM, he, he'll probably make it a tag match or he'll make it a handicap match or some shit to continue burying John Cena in this particular angle. That's probably what we're going to see. But I was not impressed with that ending. The only high points, Daniel Bryan getting that match with CM Punk and the initial Brock Lesnar angle was kind of cool just because he went fucking nuts and pretty much murder, death, killed Triple H's arm. Now, let's get into the other wrestling news for this week. Last week, of course, we talked about the Hulk Hogan sex tape and, you know, the fact that, you know, he used the cock leg drop, sleeping with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife, whose last name is Clem, rhymes with phlegm, touched her hairy clam. You could make a dozen fucking jokes for it. It, it. it was just terrible on multiple levels. But this week, this week we got Linda Hogan and she decided to appear on the Wendy Williams show. Which, if you're a celebrity and you can and you appear on the Wendy Williams show, that's pretty much the equivalent of career suicide. Wendy Williams is the lady that heated up beef jerky with a lighter and said that that's how she likes to eat it. It looked like like Pookie lighting a crack pipe in New Jack City. Look for it on the soup or look for it on YouTube. Wendy Williams lighting uh, beef jerky with a lighter. It is the most appalling and terrible thing I've ever fucking seen. And of course, since Linda Hogan has pretty much exhausted her 15 minutes of fame, let's appear on this show. So she was there promoting her reality series, Couples Therapy, which, you know, why, 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 why not give her a show considering she's sleeping with a guy who's 23 years younger than she is. But anyway, um, she, uh, Finds out the guy said he was 23, later admitted he was 19, so it's pretty much the equivalent of sleeping with your son, but, um, you know, of course, they got to throw a little bit of risque humor in there asking about how the sex was, and of course, we find out that Linda Hogan uh, shared her awesome sex story, ugh, fucking terrible, but she ended up closing out the segment by acknowledging the rumors that she said about Hulk Hogan being gay with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. She said um, pretty much that they were taken out of context and that she regretted saying anything at all. She even sent out a public apology to the Hulkster. Now, here's the funny thing. This chick made a whole bunch of money off of Hulk Hogan's withering fucking carcass. God knows how much plastic surgery she's had. She sleeps in an awesome house that she took from the poor bastard. She fucks some young guy in his bed. Like, it's all good. And you pretty much said your husband is gay. Now, whether Hulkster was gay or not gay, it doesn't make any difference, whatever. But pretty much, if you want to kill a guy's reputation, she succeeded in doing it. Now, of course, there were a lot of jokes about it, whatever, but... That exactly didn't do Hogan any favors. And I really like how nonchalantly she said that the comments were taken out of context. Has the fucking bleach gone to your skull and rotted your brain that the fact that you said that Hulk Hogan takes it in the ass from the barber is taken out of context? That's what you said. You said Hulk Hogan and Brutus 
were gay. There's no there's no way to take that out of context unless you're saying they're extremely happy. And that's not what that bitch was saying. She pretty much said Hulk Hogan takes the leg drop from Brutus the Barber. And it was taken out of context. She is so full of shit. It's terrible. It is fucking terrible. But yeah, Wendy Williams was the the show to to make her grand explanation. Yuck. In some in some in some better news though, Buff Bagwell is on the mend. Uh, TMZ spoke with his mom, Judy Bagwell, who was of course one half of the WCW Tag Team Champions. Yes, folks, Buff Bagwell's mother was a tag team champion. Look at the fuck up. Anyway, Judy Bagwell said that Buff Bagwell is breathing and eating on his own. Um, he was hooked up on a breathing tube for a while while they were working on injuries to his face and spine. But she said that there's been a tremendous outpouring of support. From Scott, Rick Steiner, DDP, Sting, and um, she said he's eating solid foods, and she was the doctors were really shocked that he was communicating so soon. Basically, what she's saying happened is that Buff Bagwell suffered a seizure behind the wheel of his Jeep, causing it to flip, and nothing is crazier than seeing someone have a seizure. Uh, my, my younger sister suffers from them. She had one. She had her first and her last one, hopefully. You know, knock on wood. And um, it is some scary shit. If you've never seen a person get a seizure, it is probably the most mind-numbing experience ever. You pretty much freeze because you don't know what the fuck to do. Do I move them? Do I not move them? Do I sit them up? Is it true that they swallow their tongue? All kinds of shit. So this guy got a seizure while he was driving, had no one with him, pretty much almost died behind the wheel. It's, It's insane. It is fucking insane. And, you know... Don't don't take this the wrong way, folks, but I'm glad to find out he had a seizure and not that it was some sort of, uh, you know, drug related incident or alcohol related incident. And, you know, it's good to hear that it was not good to hear in that way, but good to hear that it was something medical and not something brought on by alcohol or drug use, because, you know, that's automatically what people assume when a wrestler gets in an accident or gets hurt in any way. Drugs, 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 booze, booze, booze. Speaking of drugs and booze, Scott Hall is being sued. Um, Seems that he defaulted on a mortgage and owns $75,000 as a result. Uh, The lawsuit was filed in Florida, and it alleges that Hall borrowed $75,000 in June 2001 for a home in Seminole County. He allegedly missed the final balloon payment and is refusing to pay up. The suit claims that Hall isn't living in the home at the moment, leaving it vacant, so the lender wants to foreclose on the house and sell it forcing Hall to pay the difference, if any. As of right now, no comments from Hall's rep, and this was on TMZ. The Scott Hall story gets fucking crazier and crazier and crazier. And of course, it wouldn't be a wrestling segment. We talked about Linda. We got to talk about Hulk a little bit. He did an interview in everyone's favorite rag here in New York, the New York Post, um, talking about his latest idea for TNA. And he said that if the idea doesn't work, he will leave the company. Frankly, I'd like him to leave the company tomorrow, but that's just me. The article, get this, refers to Hogan as one of the premier minds in wrestling. I don't know where the fuck they pulled that out from, but that is a complete crock of shit. Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff killed WCW, and they're on the verge of killing TNA. You don't gotta read Scott Steiner's Twitter for that. You can just watch that shit every week. Anyway... 
he did, he elaborated a little bit on the open fight night concept and the gut check concept that they're doing. Um, if you watch Impact earlier this evening, you'll get an idea about open fight night. And um, he also gave a little bit of insight into another idea, which is the following. He said he's going to give more power to the fans and make them more involved and more important. He elaborated that he couldn't say more, but he said it's either going to be really right or really wrong. And he said, if it doesn't work according to plan, you probably won't see me again because I'll be hightailing it out of there. Now, allegedly, the rumors are that they're going to try and use footage of TNA wrestlers um, recorded by fans. I don't know how that's going to tie in or what level of engagement that's going to involve. But if you're going for the whole shock TV angle, that shit's going to blow up in your face, especially when you're really involving your audience, because I'm sure they're going to try and get these wrestlers in compromising positions. These guys are going to be trying to eat, work out and travel. And people are going to just be trying to videotape them all the fucking time. Again, I don't know 100% if that's the concept, but those are the rumblings I've heard thus far. Personally, Hogan and Bischoff, if you're going to work for TNA, do it, do it behind the scenes. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody gives a fuck about you. Take Garrett Bischoff with you, which is funny because I'm going to share some tweets from Scott Steiner later on in the segment, which are going to shed some light on Garrett Bischoff and a crazy angle they had in mind. In some movie news, we got some casting for the next Marine film, and it's not John Cena, it's not Ted DiBiase, it's not JTG or Kofi Kingston, which were uh, people's uh, retweets that I saw that popped up over the last couple of weeks. It is going to be The Miz. The Miz is going to be in the next Marine film, according to PW Insider, and they're going to begin shooting that in Vancouver in June. So either the Miz is getting injured or written off television uh, off television in some shape, way, or form to promote this movie. Number one, the Miz is too much of a sarcastic douche to be any kind of a Marine. Number two, the Miz doesn't look anywhere near like a guy who would serve in the armed forces. Simple as that. Miz is too pretty. I'm sorry. That's it. Now, here's something which is considered to be some people are saying it's a work some people are saying it's a shoot some people are saying it's 50 50 and it's regarding brock lesnar pretty much what happened at extreme rules like i said um the ending for the match initially was supposed to be um cena getting the stretcher job etc 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 and brock lesnar pretty much went backstage through a tirade ripped apart his dressing room allegedly went off on several officials blah 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 due to the promo that Cena cut after his match. Now, people are saying that once he was calmed down, he did work raw the next night, did the whole triple H thing to get him off TV. And that was it. Now they're saying that that backstage tantrum may be at least to some degree a work. Um, so to convince that way, it can convince people that Cena winning was the right move. Lesnar, they said was upset about the finish, but it's not, to the extreme that people are saying it was supposedly they tried to leak WWE tried to leak Monday that Cena had quit the company. I mean, uh, that Brock Lesnar had quit the company, but it didn't work because obviously you can't fucking leak anything onto the internet because people are going to immediately burst the bubble of that particular angle. So didn't work. But if Brock Lesnar's frustrated, he has to realize that he's not going to win every match and dude, you're making five, million dollars allegedly five million 
do whatever the fuck it is you got to do and accept the fact that you're getting $5 million for one year. While most of these guys that are on the road with the company busting their ass, you know, the Daniel Bryans, the CM Punks are, are seeing nowhere near that money. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. We'll see what happens next week. Obviously, they're going with the angle right now that the board of directors is contemplating pressing charges on Brock Lesnar or whatever the, the case may be. But you can definitely count on not seeing Brock next Monday. If, if he is on, then maybe they hash things out and we're going to move forward with this rumored match between him and Triple H. Some people are saying that it may be a feud between him, Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton, which if it is, please don't let either of those guys cut a promo on each other because it's going to be fucking shit. Simple as that. Um, in some news that should surprise no one because no one will give a shit, um, Mexican-America member Anarchia is no longer with TNA. He was part of the Mexican-America faction with Hernandez, uh, Rosita, and Sarita, and he is gone. So bootleg Chavo Guerrero 2.0 is out of here. Frankly, I really couldn't give a fuck about that guy. His wrestling was pretty much average at best. And he was just there to play the the heel in peril in tag matches. Now, the real question is, what happens with Hernandez? Hernandez is very marketable. He does well in Mexico. Marketable to the Latino audience. Is a big dude. And, yeah, his mic work isn't great, but he's a guy that the fans can kind of relate to for some reason. His popularity was surprising at best the, the few times that he did a couple of singles pushes. Are they going to release him too, which will suck? But if they do release him, I bet you WWE will scoop him up immediately because he fits, you know, big uh, the big man fetish that Vince McMahon and Johnny Ace have. We'll see what happens to Hernandez in Mexican America over the next couple of weeks. But I think Hernandez has a tremendous upside. He just needs he needs a little polish. He needs a good feud, and definitely doesn't need to be a tag team partner to uh, tag team partner to Garrett Bischoff. Get that shit the fuck out of here. And now, of course, speaking of Garrett, Scott Steiner, very vocal on Twitter this week. If you are using Twitter and you want some awesome accounts to follow, the Iron Sheik and Scott Steiner. The Iron Sheik is just insane. Sometimes I think that he has somebody write those tweets for him. Um, and Scotty, of course, is just out of his mind. But I just want to share some of the tweets from this week. Um, he goes... For TNA to save money, they no longer fly out Taz and Tanay for tapings. They do voiceovers in Nashville. He went on to say, I bet you Eric will try and replace them or one of them saying he's saving the company money. Next up, he talked about the plan that they originally had with Garrett Bischoff, which was the fact that they had Garrett and Nick Hogan in wrestling camp at the same time. Uh, Scott Steiner went on to say, thank God Hogan's son has his pussy jeans and quit. Otherwise the fans would have to suffer with these two assholes, nepotism and their non-athletic sons on the top. As soon as Bischoff leaves TNA, uh, Garrett Bischoff's career will be over because guys will kick his ass out of spite because Eric Bischoff is such a piece of shit. You know, Scott Steiner, hundred percent on point with his tweets. uh, Eric Bischoff has responded accordingly, but I will say this. Hulk Hogan's kids have absolutely nothing else to offer the wrestling, uh, well, the entertainment business. 
they would definitely thrive in the wrestling business. Brooke Hogan, uh, she's a big girl. She's easy on the eyes. She should be fucking wrestling. Your singing career is shit. Don't try and fucking act. Just go out there and do a Hogan leg drop. Just do that. Hulk up when a chick is whooping your ass. Do that shit. Nick Hogan, I think the only thing Nick Hogan is good at is making his friends vegetables. That's all he's fucking good at. If he can't fucking go and learn how to wrestle, he is the David Flair of the Hogan family. Fucking terrible. You mean you and Garrett Bischoff go into into wrestling school together and your son is a fucking legend. Garrett Bischoff's, I mean, your son, your father is a fucking legend. Garrett Bischoff's father is a fucking paper pusher and you can't get the fundamentals of wrestling down pat to the point where you can try and get a fraction of your father's success. Nick Hogan is fucking worthless. Sorry. He is. And Brooke, Brooke, unfortunately, you know, between the rumors that, you know, she got breast implants that Hogan paid for to Hogan digging sand out of her asshole uh, to pretty much contributing absolutely nothing to the entertainment industry. Seriously, either do porn or, or wrestle, do something with yourself, please. Last week, we talked about Rey Mysterio getting suspended for wellness. It seems that everyone's favorite luchador tested positive for amphetamines on February 13th when Raw was in San Diego. This is his second violation of the wellness policy. Rey Mysterio suspended for 60 days, will not be eligible to return till at least June 25th. Um, It's estimated he's going to lose $166,000 in pay, and he may have missed out on the WrestleMania payday as well. Now, a lot of people are saying that Rey Mysterio attributed this to supplements that he was taking, uh, possibly uh, weight loss supplements to get in ring shape that may have contained traces of amphetamines. Now, doctors evaluated his supplement regimen and supposedly the theory did not hold water. And as such, Rey Mysterio has to be benched. Now, much like I discussed last week, he was using supplements to get in ring shape to get back to wrestling. You see what I'm saying? It's these guys are being rushed back and they're cutting corners. And there's your proof right there. But who the fuck am I to say anything? And the last bit of wrestling news that were, that really was a little weird this week, WWE.com added sting to their alumni section of the website. Head over to WWE.com and check that out. Definitely a little strange. Who knows? We haven't seen Sting on TV and TNA. Maybe maybe he will be the Undertaker's opponent at WrestleMania and they'll start building that. Maybe Sting is going in the Hall of Fame. Who knows? But he is in the alumni section. So take that for what it's worth. Definitely an interesting development. And once I hear more, I will share it with you guys. All right, that wraps up, that wraps up the wrestling segment. I am running with no commercial breaks because, well, They're the same ones we always play, and nobody sent me new ones. Let's talk video games. I didn't realize that that was such a fucking long bumper note to self.
trim that shit the fuck down. Anyway, first bit of video game news, uh, Quark was very, very happy about this, and I'm sure he will want to review it as soon as it comes out. Uh, PlayStation is getting into the Smash Brothers-style genre with their own title, All-Stars Battle Royal, which they debuted the trailer for last week. As of right now, the characters being included are Sly Cooper, Parappa the Rapper, Male Erratic, Sweet Tooth, Kratos, and Fat Princess. I'm sure that with their expanded roster of uh, first-party characters, it should be an awesome game. you got to include Dr. Neo Cortex, in my opinion, Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter, um, Ratchet and Clank. So many awesome characters you can include. And honestly, based on the trailer I saw, it looked really, really fun. I think um, Sony needs that type of a game. Just a a nice, mindless first-party game that you can really have a lot of fun with. That's pick-up-and-play. Little online capability, of course. Only because Nintendo hasn't done much with Smash Brothers lately. And it's kind of left a bit of a vacuum in regards to that genre, and people really enjoy playing it. I mean, Smash Brothers is a is a very very fun game, and you also got you know Sackboy from Little Big Planet. You can do stuff with that. I'm looking forward to it. I think that some of the members that were announced, like Parappa the Rapper, hasn't I haven't heard his name since the old days with you know Chopkick Block and Sweet Tooth. Of course, is a no brainer. So is Kratos. Very impressed with the use of Fat Princess based on the video footage I saw. So it's definitely going to be a fun game when it drops. Be on the lookout for more news as it comes out. I will be sharing it with you guys, but it's definitely going to be a a must-check-out game. PlayStation's All-Star... Excuse me. PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royal. And let's talk some Nintendo news. Last week, there was a very spirited debate between our very own Quark and DK about Nintendo and, of course, the social media... Uh, death knell that people felt when Nintendo posted a loss for the first time. Well, a couple of things were happening this week. Uh, Number one, they say that they expect 3DS sales to double by next year. They're predicting at least 18.5 million 3DS units to be sold. Excuse me, with the backing of games like New Super Mario Bros. 2 and Animal Crossing. They also expect to at least sell 10.5 million Wii and Wii U units by the end of the next fiscal year. So they definitely um they definitely have some high expectations. I think that the curiosity of the Wii U will definitely fuel some of the sales, but as we've said, pricing is a very 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 important factor. So we'll see how that pans out. In some other news, Nintendo's also going to start releasing a lot of their games in the digital format. Uh, The company announced that Wii U retail games will also be sold digitally at launch. The games will be sold by retailers and will let retailers set their own selling prices. This is going to allow them to discount or put on sale retailers to put the games on sale as desired. Not only that, but the 3DS will also also start doing the digital downloads beginning this August with new Super Mario Brothers 2. The codes will be sold the same way that the Wii U codes are through a retailer at their own price point. So if you are a 3DS user, you may not even have to go to the store to buy new Super Mario Brothers 2 since they want to go the digital route. The other bit of Nintendo news, it seems that they are going the Grimace route. We're going to get a Grimace Purple or Midnight Purple 3DS, which will be coming out May 20th um, to coincide with the release of Mario Tennis Open. 
The system is going to cost $170 when it drops May 20th. So if you want a nice Grimace Purple Barney Purple DS, then May 20th is the day for you. A couple of weeks back, we were talking about uh, Dragon Age, um, Dragon Age, excuse me, Dragon's Lair debuting on Xbox Live, and we got a release date. May 18th is that date, and you'll be able to play the game with Connect features, but you'll also have a full watch mode, which is going to let you watch the game from start to finish without any deaths. So very interesting to see. Dragon's Lair has been ported 50, 60 times since launch, so I don't know if it's going to hold up as well, but we'll see. May 18th, we're going to see how many units they sell. And of course, Sony's uh, Battle Royale, the All-Stars game with Kratos, wasn't the only thing involving everyone's favorite God of War. Besides the trailer for Ascension, which Slick discussed on the site, it seems that the God of War Ascension game will be getting multiplayer. They're going to go with a four-on-four online multiplayer called Execution, where players will either fight for Sparta or Troy. And the objective is going to be for them to fight for control points that bind huge monsters. So there you go. God of War is getting multiplayer, uh, much like Uncharted did. I really don't know how to how I can... I can't shit on it because whatever. It's not like I'm jumping uh, for joy about multiplayer, and it's not like it's going to be something I'm going to use frequently. But before really shitting on it, I'd like to see it in execution. I'd like to play it and see how it works before... Um, passing judgment there's also rumors that they may go with a horde mode similar to what gears of war does but there's been no confirmation as of yet in some microsoft news which is very very interesting i was reading on the verge earlier this week that they're gonna launch an xbox 360 with a contract now you're probably asking yourself how the fuck is that gonna work basically the xbox 360 is gonna cost you a hundred dollars up front then you're gonna pay fifteen dollars a month I believe for two years, that's going to cover the connect that comes with the system, gold membership, plus a two-year warranty and some streaming content. Um, They could probably go go on sale initially through Microsoft retail locations and then through general retailers. Um, The entire two-year contract should cost about $460. Make of that what you will, but here's the interesting thing. Microsoft has been expanding its base with a lot of multimedia applications, HBO Go, Netflix, um, whatever new music service they're planning on launching, Crackle, etc., etc. The only competitor in that space, obviously, are consoles, but also streaming boxes like Roku, Boxy, uh, Google TV to a degree, and Apple TV, of course, which has the attractive $99 price point. Now... By releasing an Xbox 360 for $100, you accomplish a couple of things. You get a console in every home, a Kinect unit in every home, new Xbox Live subscribers, but you also get the uh, an upper hand with streaming services. But see, everybody buys the Apple TV because it's great, it works well, it, it ties into the entire Apple ecosystem, but... For those of us that don't want to have everything tied to it, we have to use other alternatives like the Roku box, um, the uh, Western Digital TV or live TV format, um, HTPCs, etc., etc. And things like that, I think, are in some respects eating 
at that particular avenue. And I, I think Microsoft is being smart in doing this. I think that the long-term costs are going to be substantially higher, as is the case with anything you pay for month to month. But that $100 price point is definitely attractive. And honestly, it's probably going to get more people to pick up an extra Xbox or better yet, get it into homes where they couldn't get it in previously because parents felt it was too expensive. So it's going to it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that pans out, especially with MPD numbers. We'll see how if they do launch it in major retailers, how that's going to tie in. Lastly, of course, first person shooter fans are pretty much creaming in their shorts because Call of Duty Black Ops 2 was announced on May 1st. The game is going to be set in the year 2025. You're going to have advanced weaponry, robotics and drone warfare. They're going to be utilizing a new Cold War scenario, which some people are saying uh, makes a hacker group like Anonymous the villains. Um, basically, the game is going to the game scenario will be uh, utilizing seeds that are sown in today's headlines. So it's it's going to be very interesting. And there's already pre-order bonuses, and of course, they're from everyone's favorite Rape Stop retailer. Uh, first off, the first wave. If you pre-order it now, you're going to get a two-sided poster, a prestige token for Modern Warfare 3, plus all the incentives that will be offered in subsequent releases going forward. So if you want to get in on it and get all the cool shit, then I recommend you pre-order it now. Otherwise, if you really could give two shits, just wait for the game to drop and pick it up and you know, buy the pass or whatever, whatever other crazy thing they release to get gamers money in addition to the cost of the game. Black Ops 2, I will say this. They are really, really trying to move the genre forward. It just feels like some people were telling me it just feels like every other Call of Duty game. It feels like a like it has just has a fresh coat of paint. That's up to interpretation. I played the first Black Ops and I played the campaign. I had fun with it. It was cool. I really don't do a lot of multiplayer. It's just frustrating for me for a multitude of reasons. But I think, um, you know, they're, they're trying to do something a little a little different, a little more futuristic. Of course, it's competing against other games like Ghost Recon, even Halo to a degree that takes place in the future. So they're going to have to do some really, really crazy shit to get people to fuck with it. But Call of Duty hasn't failed yet. They make a ton of money, and Activision seems to be really, really, really motivated with this game, so we shall see how it unfolds. That's it for game news this week. This week It was a little short. I'm a little wired on Monster Energy. Slurred a couple of words. Haven't slept well, but hey, you know what? Let's talk movies, because there's a ton of stuff, and we got some what-the-fuck movie news. Yes, yes, we do. Spartans! What is your profession? All right, I figured we would use that just to uh, not only wake up our listeners because we're already past 12 o'clock and most of you are probably seeing the Avengers, but also to wake myself up as well because uh, a little groggy for some reason. Anyway, movie news. First up, movie hasn't even come out yet, but... Deadline is reporting that Universal is in talks to write the sequel for Snow White and the Huntsman. The first film, of course, opens June 1st. Kristen Stewart playing Snow White, Charlize Theron playing the Queen, and Chris Hemsworth is playing the Huntsman. Now, I actually think this movie has 
the the chance to be successful just based on the on the darker tone and of course Chris Hemsworth is Hollywood's darling at the moment due to his work in Thor so and in the Avengers I think that that's going to be one of those things that's going to fuel the success of this film Kristen Stewart of course tossed in there they'll get the Twilight set that like her in there as well I'm actually interested in checking it out only because it looks like something different Kristen Stewart is fucking terrible. I really think that she sucks as an actress, but the concept looks cool. So we'll see how it pans out. In some other news, there are there are already strong rumors that they are working on the Daredevil reboot. Deadline reports that David James Kelly has been hired by 20th Century Fox to rewrite the script for the Daredevil reboot. The film is going to be directed by David Slade, who did 30 Days of Night and the Twilight Saga Eclipse. The film will be adapting the Frank Miller Born Again storyline, which involves uh, the Kingpin attacking Matt Murdock's friends and family after he finds out Daredevil's, um, you know, Daredevil's true identity, which is Matt Murdock. Um, Here's the thing. A lot of people really didn't like the Ben Affleck Daredevil, and there were, you know, between the fucking fighting on the um, on the seesaw with 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 Elektra and, and a lot of shit that I really didn't like. I felt that the film had the potential to be better. And I tell people all the time, do yourselves a favor, check out the director's cut. Um, the extra footage that was added really helped flesh out the film and give it a bit of a darker tone. Not only that, I think that Michael Clark Duncan did a really good job as Kingpin. Some people beg to differ. Where are you going to find a, a giant white guy that, that can play the Kingpin? And I mean, play him in such a way that he's not a giant fat guy, but a giant muscular dude that'll whoop your ass honestly michael clark duncan did good for that he he really did i'm not saying that there isn't going to be um a caucasian actor that can do it but michael clark duncan did well not only that but i think it would just help keep some continuity there doing a daredevil reboot of course with the success of all these marvel films is risky but again i really didn't think it was garbage the first one i think it needed work and I honestly think that the Electra film was far shittier. But using this Frank Miller storyline can definitely help flesh things out a bit. Using only uh, the Kingpin as the bad guy. Eh, you know, I mean, Bullseye is a fantastic bad guy. Typhoid Mary, The Hand. You could do a lot of great shit with all those characters and still tie them in with the Kingpin as your main bad guy. So we'll see how it pans out. I'm really, really intrigued to see what david slade can do not so much for his work on twilight saga the eclipse but he really did a great job with 30 days of night in my opinion so i'm hoping he does just as good a job with daredevil in some other sequel news uh max landis who did chronicle shared a little bit about chronicle 2 if you haven't seen chronicle i recommend you check out slick's review on the site and that'll definitely help explain a lot of things and possibly motivate you to check the movie out. Max Landis is working on the sequel for it. And, um, he really wants to go a little deeper and give a little bit more depth to a character like Matt. Uh, he said, um, I felt really bad for him because I understood just how emotionally lazy he is and how he doesn't really do what he, he doesn't really do what he's doing. And that's why I'm putting him through hell in Chronicle two. Landis did note in the interview that Josh Tank will likely be involved with the film, but not direct due to other obligations. 
which are pretty much rumored to be the Fantastic Four reboot. Um, Chronicle was was a different take on superhero films. Um, Slick did a great job reviewing it, and I really like the concept. I think we've all talked about growing up what it would be like to have superpowers, and if we had them, what we would do. And all of us talk about all the noble shit we do, but if you're if you're a young person, you know you're going to jerk around with whatever powers you have. It, it's 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 as easy as that. So I, I like the the approach to this, and I'm interested in seeing if he does do a sequel because the the concept is pretty sound. I mean, we get a lot of mature superhero movies that don't really do well, but they're always good. Kick Ass, Watchmen, um, the second uh, Punisher War Zone. Movies that they don't do well in the box office, but they do better in regards to fan service. So we'll see how it pans out with Chronicle 2. Let's talk box office totals, which come later on this weekend will be fucking irrelevant because the Avengers is pretty much going to wipe the floor with everything on this list. But let's talk about it anyway. Number 10, Cabin in the Woods, $4.5 million. Three Stooges was number 9. Number 8, Chimpanzee. Number 7, the Raven. Number six, Safe. Number five, The Five-Year Engagement. Number four, The Hunger Games. Number three, The Lucky One. Number two, Pirates, Band of Misfits. And number one for the second week, Think Like a Man. Which, you know, that's going to be gone this weekend. Maybe number three at best. The funny thing is, with the totals this week, The Hunger Games has officially made $600.9 million overall. $372.4 million here in the U.S. Well, 372.5, sorry. And 228.5 in international box office dollars. So, obviously, super successful. The film had a budget of $78 million. That means that, as of right now, the studio is going to recoup about you know well over 50% of the film's grosses. So most films need to approximately double its budget to be profitable during its theatrical run. We know that shit's already happened by leaps and bounds. So Hunger Games, super successful. Now here's your first bit of what the fuck movie news for this week. And I'm sure a lot of you are going to get a kick out of this. We all know that Rihanna's going to be in Battleship and um, it's her acting debut and blah, blah, blah. But... Here's here's the crazy shit for this week. According to The Sun, Rihanna's been cast as the villain in the sixth Fast and Furious film. A source said, Rihanna impressed everyone with her acting debut in Battleship. Writers think she'll be perfect for the role. Her character has plenty of bite and doesn't take any prisoners, just like her in real life. It's a step up the ladder for her and could lead to bigger action roles. I can't even believe I read that. Obviously, Vin Diesel, The Rock, uh, Paul Walker, all the usual suspects will be there. Um, It's going to be taking place in England and is expected to begin filming next month. Yeah. So Rihanna, allegedly the villain in Fast and Furious. I've heard other things. I heard um, that they had wanted Jason Statham to be the villain in Fast and Furious, which think about this. You go from Jason Statham to Rihanna. I hope she's not the major bad guy and she's like the right-hand man. But seriously, I think it's too big of a jump. Look, I'm all for 
people making their acting debuts and, you know, growing, growing their careers. I have no problem with that. Sure, she did Battleship, which whatever, make of it what you will. And it, it was her debut role. But to jump from that, which is a first time movie into an established franchise like Fast and Furious is that's a big jump. And she is acting amongst veterans. I mean, The Rock is a veteran at this point, but she's acting amongst veterans, including, you know, Michelle Rodriguez, um, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, The Rock. Not only that, but, you know, Gina Carano may also be joining the cast. So she will be the second film rookie, much like Rihanna. So it's going to be very interesting to see where they go with it. Of course, of course, Skype hangs up. Because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't Skype hang up? I'm back. Skype or Blog Talk Radio are being complete cunts. I apologize. Um, as I was saying, Rihanna, Fast and Furious, moving the fuck on since clearly uh, Skype or Blog Talk Radio are being remarkably sensitive this evening. Anyway, Trek Movie has reported that Benedict Cumberbatch will be playing Khan in the next Star Trek film. Khan has already been rumored and denied multiple fucking times, but it seems that it is official at this point. There's also rumors that Leonard Nimoy will be returning as Spock Prime and that we will be seeing Klingons in the next Star Trek film. The film is set for release May 17th, 2013. I'm actually very excited for this only because I really like the Khan character. I'm not a big Trekkie, but I've seen most of the Star Trek films and frankly, the, the Star Trek 2 is my favorite because Khan was awesome. So should be interesting to see if they uh, give him... The, uh, a good treatment in this new spin on on Star Trek. We'll see how it pans out. May 17th, 2013 is your target date for that. Here's your other bit of what the fuck movie news. Superhero Hype announced that Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi have signed a two-year first look, first look excuse me, production deal with Universal Pictures for new versions of Van Helsing and The Mummy. Now here's the crazy part. The the create wow the crazy part. That's my accent coming out right there. Um, the crazy part is that the Van Helsing movie is being produced and will star Tom Cruise. How's that for what the fuck? Van Helsing already was kind of beat up by Hugh Jackman in that crazy fucking movie with him and Kate Beckinsale. Now you're gonna put old ass Tom Cruise in the role of Van Helsing. I don't know, guys. I really don't. Look, Tom Cruise did good in Ghost Protocol, and it was all right, but he definitely showed his age. And unless you're going to do Van Helsing like an older Van Helsing and not Hugh Jackman ass-whooping Van Helsing, I don't think it's going to work. I think that Hugh Jackman Van Helsing failed because they tried to make it funny, and they tried to do way too much crazy shit. Plus, I hated the fucking guy that played Dracula. There is no bigger tool than that guy. The guy that played Dracula in Van Helsing is a complete bag of shit. He is garbage. Simple as that. Especially in that film. He's, he's done a couple of other movies where he was good, but in Van Helsing, he was shit. And of course, rebooting The Mummy, we've talked about this a few times. You know, this was the cash cow for our buddy Brendan Fraser. Poor bastard is probably waiting by his phone, hoping he gets the call to continue the series. I really, I have no opinion on it because The Mummy films were fun, the first and second in particular, the third, eh, make of it what you will, but they, they're really trying. They're trying to get 
as much money out of these franchises as they can. I mean, there's rumors that they're going to do another Frankenstein film. So they're, they're trying to squeeze all the blood out of the Universal Monsters again. Because clearly, Hollywood has nothing better to do. In some Marvel movie news, Mark Ruffalo revealed that he has signed on to appear as the Hulk in six films, including the Avengers. Now, obviously, this is probably cameos as well, but it also leads me to believe that there may be another solo Hulk film. A lot of people have said that Mark Ruffalo was really impressive in Avengers and his his screen presence, not only as the Hulk, but as Dr. Banner, is memorable, to say the least. I'll be the judge of that when I go to see Avengers, but Mark Ruffalo isn't exactly doing shit nowadays, so he's going to be the Hulk for six more movies. If you're gonna, if you're excited about it, great. If you're not, whatever. All right, Michelle Rodriguez. We already know. Fast Five. She appeared at the end of Fast Five. She's gonna be in Fast and Furious Six. Who knows if they're gonna do a seventh? But she's also returning for Machete. She will be in Machete Kills. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is already at work. She will resume her role as as Luce. Uh, was it Luce? Uh, what the hell was the, the eye patch character that she played? Shit. Uh, she. Was it she? Damn it. Anyway, yeah, it was she. Thank you, Slick. Anyway, so she'll be back with the eye patch. And once again, we got a nice crazy cast. Danny Trejo, of course, coming back as Machete. Jessica Alba's back in there. Mel Gibson will be the bad guy. He will be playing Luther Voss, V O Z. So, yeah, you got Mel Gibson who is a fucking racist psychopath uh, at odds with our Mexican vigilante. I think it should be interesting. Not only that, but joining the cast is going to be Amber Heard and Damian Bashir. Amber Heard is going to be playing an assassin called, um, what the hell is her name? Uh, Miss San Antonio. She's going to be probably playing the right-hand woman of Luther Vaz's character. So there you go. You got another crazy cast uh, to give Robert Rodriguez more money. If you guys want to know something crazy, Machete was made for 10 and a half, well, $10.5 million. It earned $44.1 million worldwide. So obviously successful. And if you're paying these guys fucking peanuts, what, what is Mel Gibson doing anyway, other than being racist and leaving hateful messages? So fuck it. I think he'd be a good bad guy. He's um, shit. If De Niro could do it, He can do it. So I'm looking forward to Machete Kills and also Fast 6 as well. And for those of you that are going to complain that I use the ethnic pronunciation of that, fuck you very much. We got more Avengers news to close things out. They uh, made $20.6 million internationally on Wednesday, May 2nd. After eight days, the film has made $281.1 million. It's rumored to be breaking the $500 million mark by Sunday. As of right now, the Avengers has passed the total box office, the total international box office for Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and Iron Man 2. So it's going to, it surpassed all those already. Captain America made $192 million internationally. Iron Man made $267 million. Thor made $268 and Iron Man 2 earned $311 million, so it's definitely surpassing that without much of a problem. Avengers already opened midnight tonight, so 
I'm sure come Sunday, we may see a $500 million uh, box office take for the film, which obviously I will talk about next Thursday. Earlier, we were talking about Rihanna and Battleship, but IGN was recently speaking to the director of Battleship, Peter Berg, who did Hancock, and he said that he is be- he's been talking with Will Smith and Akiva Goldsmith about doing a sequel to Hancock. Now, here's the funny thing. Hancock was a, was a good movie. I actually felt that the earlier part of the film where he was drunk and being a complete lunatic was the best part of the film. I think when they started getting into the whole you know, life partner, romance, shit, it took a completely different turn. I I think Will Smith, that was one of his more memorable characters. I felt that him playing a flawed hero worked. Not only that, but just the the way that the character portray, was portrayed, especially in the beginning act, was, was very good. So if they do a sequel to it, I'd actually see it. I'm curious to see if they're going to continue the more darker tone of the series or if they're going to go more lighthearted and try and get that family audience. Cause honestly I felt that, like I said, the earlier part of that film was amazing. And then in the later part, it just took a complete shit. And last but not least to close out the movie news for this week, we got another remake. Joseph Gordon Levitt is currently developing a remake of little shop of horrors with Warner brothers. There's your other, what the fuck movie news for this week, folks. Um, Of course, he's going to be playing Seymour. Uh, Mark Platt, who did Wicked and Wanted, will produce this new version. And Roberto Aguirre uh, Sacasa, who worked on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, has been brought aboard to write the screenplay. If you're not familiar with Little Shop of Horrors, originally it was a Roger Corman movie in 1960, which actually starred Jack Nicholson. Later on, they made it into an off-Broadway musical, and then they did a 1986 movie musical, which had Rick Moranis and Steve Martin which was directed by Frank Oz, and it's one of my favorites. Um, Steve Martin was awesome in that movie as the douchey dentist, and Rick Moranis is, well, Rick Moranis. So make of that what you will. I'm curious to see what kind of a job they do with this. I mean, if you're going to go the musical route, I've seen musicals be successful nowadays in Hollywood, but Little Shop of Horrors is something where you're going to really have to modernize it quite a bit to get this newer audience so we'll see how it pans out. Ladies and gents, that wraps up the show for this week. Once again, it's uh, another 90 minutes of awesomeness. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 138 for Thursday, May 3rd, 2012. If you have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also call our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. We're also on multiple social media outlets, including Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, Facebook, which you can become a fan, follow us on Formspring, just look for MyTakeRadio there, add us to your circle on Google+, follow our boards on Pinterest, and of course, you can also look for us in the wastelands of MySpace. So there you have it, folks. If you want to take MTR to go, pick up the MyTake Radio app for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. You can find it in the Amazon Marketplace for Android and in iTunes for iOS devices. If you're feeling cheap, you can still get MTR via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, and various other podcatchers, including Miro as well. 
pretty soon we will be launching on a couple of other networks, which hopefully once things are finalized, I can make those announcements. When that happens, be on the lookout. News will drop either on the site or on our Facebook fan page. The new MTR app, which is going to be site-related, should be hopefully launching in June, like I said at the start of this broadcast, and we'll see how that works. Hopefully, um, I can put together something nice for you guys that you can take with you everywhere and read the site wherever you go. I'm Rich. I'm out of here. Peace. A lot of people were super, super pumped with what we closed out the show with last week, which was Trailblazer from the Killer Instinct Killer Cut soundtrack. So I figured we'd give it a second go this week. And um, that's it. Using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.